Welcome to the Industry 4.0 Community Podcast, uh, put on by 4.0 Solutions, hosted by Walker D. Reynolds, sponsored by IIoT.University. This is a pre-recorded podcast with my good friend and colleague, Mr. Jeff Nepper. You may hear me refer to him as Dr. Nepper, um, one of the good guys in the industry. Um, this is the first time Jeff's been on the podcast where we're doing like just a one-on-one, -on -one, and the goal today, we're actually going to talk about where we see the market going. But let's start with Jeff. Why don't you go ahead for those who don't know who you are? And by the way, most people in the community do. But why don't you just go ahead and give a quick introduction and actually talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing now, as opposed to what most people think you actually do. Okay, sure. Right. Hey, um, Walker D. Reynolds. This is my opportunity. Is the yes. D David? What's the D? The D is D. Period. <laughs> my <laughs> My mother never gave me a middle name. I do believe that it was meant to be Dennis because my okay. brother has middle name of Dennis and my uncle's middle name was Dennis, but she just gave me D period. So my name is Walker D Reynolds. I kind <laughs> of like it that way. There's a little mystery around it. That's good. She always said, I wanted you to have a strong name. You know, okay. strong. I'm like, does Walker Reynolds, Walker D Reynolds sound strong, but that's what she so. said. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, I'm Jeff B. B, Nepper. So there you go. Uh, uh, B for Brad? No, man. So my dad was a baseball player. And uh, kind of a fun little fact, my dad, if you look up Ricky, R-I-C-K-Y, Nepper, I want to say it's the 1971 Major League Baseball draft. It was either 70 or 71. My dad was first round, third overall drafted by the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Was and, he really? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, the 70s baseball is a little different than it is today. So that didn't I, play out quite the same way as it would have, you know, today. But well, that um, was pre that was pre free agency. Right. And and the farm system wasn't nearly as big in the I mean, I watch a lot of old MLB games. A lot yeah. of that, in fact, at yeah. night, I watch a lot of 70s classic. OK. 70s classic games on YouTube. And um, yeah. in fact, last night I watched the 77 All-Star game, which took place in San Diego. And okay. Vita Blue, Vita Blue started. Um, I think it was Vita Blue. I can't remember who started. Oh, and uh, Jim Palmer. Okay. That was a game I actually watched last night when I went to bed. But yeah, okay. seventy three. That's pre free free agency. That was like you get drafted by the Phillies and you sign a contract with the Phillies. You're they own Philly. you for life. Yeah, you're a Philly. You're a Philly. And uh, and so, long story short, my dad's favorite baseball player was third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, oh. Brooks Robinson. <laughs> Brooks and, Robinson. Uh, and and I've just got to say, you know, he uh, Brooks just recently passed. Um, so my namesake, I've got probably 13 pictures of me as a kid with Brooks Robinson. Uh, my namesake, my middle name was after Brooks Robinson. And I don't know that there could have been a better example of a man uh, to be named after. Um, growing up in Maryland, the Orioles, obviously, my team for life. But uh, yeah, so. There you go. Yeah, Brooks, uh, I think he won, he won 18 gold gloves, right? He won eight, 18 gold gloves and Four, 14. 14. Oh, 14. Gold. Okay. Yeah, but I'll uh, take it. Uh, 18 was uh, um, uh, Maddox. Greg okay. Maddox won 18 okay. gold gloves as a pitcher. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. So, what do you, what do you, what do you, uh, what have you been up to? Oh, man. It's been, um, I, everybody that I talk to always kind of puts that um, last couple of years, they look pre-COVID, they look post-COVID. Um, for me, it's been more like pre-flow, post-flow, <laughs> which happened to be kind of like in that same COVID, in that same COVID moment. Um, 
So my transition over from Canary uh, to Flow started started about a year before a uh, year before COVID. Actually, um, I knew in my mind that that was where I was headed, um, and was working was working through a bit of a long term plan with with the ownership and uh, the in the team at Canary because I didn't want to leave Canary and, and leave it in a way that wouldn't be healthy. And, uh, and so really was <laughs> COVID allowed me to, to put myself out of a job at Canary and, uh, and then basically step right in with flow and partner with, with Graham, who, you know, you were, you and the team hosted us, uh, what, three weeks ago we were down there. Yeah. It looks like November 7th. I actually just pulled up the notes from that meeting, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I, it's, it seemed like it was more recent than that, but it's actually almost a month ago. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah. And so Graham, um, for the community may not know, Graham uh, is South African. Um, that's actually where Flow was born. So Flow was born out of a system integration business in uh, based in Johannesburg. Um, and if you don't know, most Americans don't understand the African market that well. Uh, Africa basically has a huge amount of industry, right? You were just there, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, I, sp I spoke in Africa, but yeah, I didn't go. Okay. I, I'm going next year. Okay, got it. Um, incredible industry. Um, basically, South Africa tends to be one of the big hubs for Sub-Saharan Africa manufacturing. Um, and so Graham and team uh, birthed flow out of a system integrator that was very heavy wonderware, did not have a good answer in the wonderware stack um, for what flow used to do. <laughs> um, I met Graham and the team um, Basically, from using and in a, using them as integrators uh, for Canary, and then they spun up a distribution business that started distributing Flow, distributing Canary, um, still does distributes Ignition. Um, That's Element Eight, right? That's the Element Eight business. Yep, yep. And I think they do Stratus, and uh, I think they're doing uh, Cepasoft as well now. Uh, so, so for those of you that don't know, so Flow Software is flow-software.com. You've heard me talk about Flow since probably, uh, I mean, well, uh, 2019, 2018, something like that. Jeff and I met, we met in, in North Carolina, right? Did we leave? We met at, at a CSIA executive conference, right? Is that in, where we met? Uh, first time, yeah, but it wasn't North Carolina. This would have been, did you go to Puerto Rico? I did not go to Puerto Rico. I did. I did Florida. Oh, it was. I met you in Florida. I met you in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I met you in Fort Lauderdale. Right. So That's I did right. Fort Lauderdale, and then we did. And and when I met Jeff, he was there with Canary. <clears throat> I knew Canary only passingly, and what I knew it at. And here's what how I knew of Canary history or Canary's historian. Their real value in the market, kind of what they were known, was like this compression technology that their founder created. Like That's in right. the '80s or something. I mean, it was it, it 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 what they the way that they handle historical data, basically take time series that's really rows and columns of data, and compress it into a file, a flat file that they can compress quickly and and decompress very very quickly, so that when you are visualizing it in a trend, you have no idea that it's not backed by time series in a database. So yeah. that was kind of what Canary was known for. That's what I knew it as. As, and I was pitching to Jeff at the time. You guys need to partner with Inductive Automation, and Inductive sure. Automation needs to use Canary as their historian, right? Yeah. That was our initial. 
like, you know, we really hit it off. And then flow, the flow partnership already existed between Canary and he introduced me to Graham. And then Graham did a presentation to me of flow, which I had never seen before. I had never heard of flow. I knew of Canary and I was blown away by flow. And I was like, holy crap, there are like two fundamental things about the platform that are totally different than everything else in the market. Number one, the now, real quick, this yeah, is like two, just for the audience. We're talking 2016. Yeah, yeah. This is years and years and years ago, right? And the two things that stood out about that platform way back then was hold on, I'm going to tell you because yeah. I remember yes. you you geeked out. I remember you getting excited back in 2016 on the on the social share. Data, right, right. The, there was native native social media capabilities where you could share within Teams and with Slack. Like yeah. you could collaborate on data analysis inside yeah. of social platforms, which was crazy. Right, so that, was, that was native. That was the first one. And then yeah. the second one was the projections. Correct. It, what it was, was linear regression was built into the data analysis. So say I wanted to build a chart of, let's say what I wanted to do was create a measure, which was going to be my production aggregate over a shift. Right. Well, just natively, I could turn on linear regression and it would automatically predict based on, say, I had six hours of a 12-hour shift complete, it would predict where I would likely end up. And what was amazing was it was actually very advanced algorithms they were using. The linear regression they were doing was incredibly accurate because they weren't just they weren't just doing an X of Y algorithm. They were, they were doing really advanced analytics. And so what we ended up doing was, I think I flew, I, I went to San Francisco and I met Lenny, Graham and Lenny were at a show out in San Francisco. And then mm -hmm. we went out to dinner and had a, did a much deeper dive on the technology. And I'm like, yep. holy shit, these guys really like, this isn't a flash in the pan thing. These That's are right. the guys who are going to revolutionize what I refer to as edge analytics. You have two types of edge, two types of analytics. You got the edge analytics, the OT, you know, the OT analytics from L1, L2, L3, and then you've got the enterprise analytic, right? The, the stuff, you know, the, 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 the stuff that you do at the very top with like power BI, et cetera, et cetera. Right. right? And right. the, and where the market is, is terrible was on the edge analytics component and what was fa has been fascinating to me to watch the journey for flow like how the platform has changed so much since that initial conversation is how flow isn't isn't boxed into the edge analytics piece now flow become is is moving to the you know with unified analytics framework moving to the center and that's the reason this whole you know the reason i want to have you on the podcast was if you look at your career and your move from Canary to Flow, yeah. obviously, the market, you know, you could see where the market's going, right? Yeah. And so my question to you is, well, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about Flow, especially the stuff you guys showed me at the beginning of the month. But also, okay. um, but let's have the conversation about the market. Where do you see, if there's anybody in the market I, I, whose opinion I respect, hey, you know, I really, you know, you talk to a lot of people, you, you're, you're the guy who everyone loves. Right. You know, you're, you don't burn bridges. Um, you know, that's my skill. Uh, try, try not to burn bridges. Um, but you, and, you can read the tea leaves. You can read the tea leaves. You have the conversations. Where are you seeing the market going and why and, and how is that driving your decisions in your career? Yeah. Can I tell a little backstory? Yeah. Um, 
tell the story, tell away. Um, you know this, and and but I, I, I've had imposter syndrome since I came into industrial automation. You and I have talked about this, right? So my background is not engineering. It, it, there's no programming language that I've ever learned. I took a I took a boot camp on Java and did okay on that. So well, you're pretty. I, but I've seen you. You're you're. I mean, listen. You may have imposter syndrome, but relative to other people in marketing and business development, you are oh, way okay. more technically fluent. I mean, yeah, you can I use regex for. I know software yeah. developers who can't use regex. Well, and you, right. That was by necessity. Um, okay. But no, so my background, right? My background's in business management. That's what yeah. business management, sales, and marketing. That's what I've done my whole life. I never realized I was good at it until later on when I tried to make a career out of it, right? But I was that kid in middle school that when a when a fundraiser came out, right? And my daughter just brought one of these home. You've got, if you sell X number, you get this prize. If you sell X number, you get this prize. Man, I lived out in the country. I didn't live in a development. I lived on a road where houses were on five acres or more farms, and I won that thing every single time. And I just never thought anything of that, right? So later in life, I realized, oh, wait, maybe I'm wired to do you know, more relational type of work. Um, anyway, my background was in the auto industry. And for 13 years, I was part of managing uh, auto dealerships. So I bring that up because when I started in that, in 2003, 2004, do you know what you would have to do to figure out what your car's value was on a trade as a customer? No. No. Yeah. You'd, you'd have to purchase, you'd have to actually mail off to a company called Kelly and, and buy a small little booklet. Oh, the blue book. Would, yeah. yeah. You'd have to come through or you'd buy a black wholesale book. Do you know what you'd have to do to figure out what the invoice on the car was that you wanted to purchase? Yeah, you couldn't. Like they were locked away in a vault and you would never find out that information, right? So that's the market I started in. When I left the auto industry, you'd buy a vehicle online and you'd never talk to the dealership right. and it would get delivered to you, right? right. So my, my point in that is when I entered the auto world, there was, there was no such thing as a CRM. There, there was no such thing as the internet or internet, well, that's not true. There was the internet. There was no such thing as internet sales or internet communication. Uh, customers weren't emailing dealerships yet. Um, I lived through that digital transformation. And our group, our group thrived in that because we, we had ownership and I got mentored by men that put customer first in every decision they made. In fact, I sent a, I sent a text to the guy that invested in me the other day and was just, you know, just thanking him again. Um, because there's so many things that I do every day that I think about what Bill Barnes taught me. Um, and one of the things that he taught me is Jeff, you make every decision without the money involved. Right. If somebody's in the wrong and it takes $5 to make them happy, don't make them happy. But if someone's in the right and it takes $50,000 to make them happy, make them happy. Make them happy. Right. right? Do the right yeah. thing. Yeah. Anyway. So all of these little principles is what I learned. And, um, and then Which, by the way, is part of the reason you and I we're kindred spirits, right? I believe that you get out of the world what you put into it. I believe yeah. that the money takes care of itself as long as you're providing value. Focus on the yeah. value, don't focus on the money. I mean, part of the reason we get along and the, you know, it, I mean, obviously our faith, there's, we have intersections with faith and all that, but the, the part, our, our business philosophies are very similar. And that's, yeah. you know, and this is why I say values-based uh, relationships are so important. The commercials will take care of themselves. Find the people who share your values. 
Right. And that's, and if you want to know why it is Jeff and I are, you know, why I hold Jeff in such a high regard from a professional perspective, you're the best in the biz, but when it, but that's not the reason I hold you in high regard. I hold you in high regard because of the, the human being you are. And then you manifest the professional success from the type of human being you are. That, and that's important. It's a very, very important distinction. Well, I appreciate that. But people are going to start like well, you, popping you, out of you, this. You owe me a, you owe me, you owe me a butterscotch now. <laughs> you and I need to go get a tandem bicycle and take a ride through the park and hold <laughs> hands. Or something. I'll bring the flowers. <laughs> All right. So I lived through a digital transformation and, and was taught and learn some hard lessons about how to thrive through that by putting the customer first, by, by embracing interoperability, by embracing transparency as a core value and treating people fairly, right? Mm -hmm. When all the cards are on the table, the only thing you can do is look at someone and say, let's find a win-win here. Fair for you, fair for us. So imagine my shock in 2012, when I learned that there's an entire industry out here called manufacturing, industrial automation, and in order to and in order to engage with a company, a hardware or software company that does business inside of this, you don't you don't get to know their pricing, right? Not in the first three or four engagements. Um, if you're a, if you're a customer of theirs, you have to pay them X percentage of what you bought from them forever. Right. And right. and if you don't, right. and you wanted to buy more license, they won't let you. <laughs> like I I was blown away. Um, the, the only I, people who accept that are the people who have been, they've been, they've, they're numb to it. The only people right. who accept that and don't think it's crazy are those who are numb to it. When you right. bring someone out from the outside and you tell them this is how it works, they're for, this is why young people in our industry are always so flabbergasted. Right. It's like, they're like, right. what is this? You know? Right. Um, so yeah. So then I met the guys at Canary. Um, I was basically told by a friend who worked for Canary. No, our software is as good as this other company called OSI Soft, and they're doing $300 million a year of revenue. We're way back here. Not, we're struggling to get our feet underneath of us, and we're trying to figure out the, the how. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what an opportunity. So I spent, I spent, I think, two months. I took my day off um, at the dealership that I was running. Um, it so happened that Canary corporate office was in my hometown. I would spend my day off at their office just trying to learn. Um, and at the end of a month or two, I, I gave the owners a business plan. I said, hey, here's what I would do if I was you. I think you're going to see your market disrupted. Why don't you be the disruptor, right? Um, at the time, I think they're, one of the eight items that I provided was, hey, your, your pricing is currently like a 20% discount of OSI. And you know, there's no such thing as unlimited. Like Everything's got a limit. Um, it's hard for me to imagine something on a thumb drive being a million dollars, right? Like that's weird. Yep. That's weird. And, uh, and they embraced, they embraced a lot of those ideas and then it ended up them saying, Hey, would you come work for us? And, uh, I said, I spent a couple months and thought about it and made it one big pivot. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question. Cause and again, at the risk of sounding like a fanboy, which, you know, no, you're good. but, um, you know, of all the, you know, your, your, your expertise is in marketing and business development. And I would say also strategic partnerships. That's another where you're, you're really, really good. Right. And business development in our industry is all about trying to define what your solution, what problems your solution solves, like having a catalog, a list of all those solutions 
then going to your potential market and finding out what their problems are and seeing if they have the problem you solve, right? And then and then connecting the two. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that's always stood out to me about you is your technical fluency. Like mm -hmm. while you're not an engineer, while you're not a software developer in, in professionally and you're and you're not even you're not trained that way in right. you haven't been educated as an engineer or a software developer you are you have very high technical fluency you also have very high digital fluency but you openly admit you come from a background where that wasn't your expertise so when yeah. you made the move from what from basically selling cars to and by doing it at a very high level you haven't told any of the like how it is you really, you know, it was Honda you were with, right? And you, you know, this big, you know, you didn't just sell cars. You read. No, I stopped selling cars like 11 years into that relationship. Right. I, was, but you, I was managing businesses but, with a hundred people or more. That was. But the, how did you, how did you make, like, what is the pro? Like if you were going to give advice to people in business development who are yeah. joining this industry for the first yeah. time and they want to gain technical fluency. I mean, I've seen yeah. Jeff, you build demos. You don't have an engineer build the demo. You build it. And you'll, right. you'll, you'll do a sheer screen share with me and you'll go, oh, I built this walker. Did I do it right? And I'm like, yeah, not only did you do it right, how the hell did you do that, Jeff? You're not an engineer. Or when you, when yeah. you, guys, when, when you guys added in the asset, I don't remember what you guys call it, but asset management in Canary, yeah. and, and you were going to be doing pattern matching using regex so that you could take flat historical tags and turn that into an asset model, you yeah. were the one who was writing the, the regex pattern and i'm like how is he doing that you can't you're this isn't your background so what is the approach that you took and what's the advice you would give to other people on gaining technical fluency because obviously that gives you a huge advantage in the market it it and does. i wasn't even going to ask you that but i just started thinking man he that's the story he should tell yeah well thanks um so you know i think it's hard it's hard to know everybody's going to have different, different things that they can and cannot learn. Like that's, right. that's the reality, right? Aptitude, right. That um, comes from aptitude. Right. I, I struggle with learning, with learning foreign languages. Like it doesn't, that, that's something that I can, I can really put some time in. I traveled to Japan and I wanted to learn 20 phrases to be able to communicate. And it did not come easy. I had to really, really, really work at it. And the reality is Walker, I could spend the next 10 years of my life I will probably never be able to be fluent in Japan, in Japanese, right? Okay. Just not going to probably be able to do that. And I've worked with, I worked with guys at Canary that put in the time and, and from the sales side that would really put in the time and want to be pros on the product, but certain things just were never going to click for them to be able to learn regex or things like that. Um, I think God wired me to be able to pick up certain things with, with minimal effort. I think you're wired that way too. Mm -hmm. There's certain things you just look at and they click for you. Right. Um, I always did well in school. I, I, I could have, I could have gone down a, a, a stronger path in the mathematics or in sciences. I, I have been fascinated with psychology and communication most of my life. That's the path that I, that I went down. Um, Cause you have, so high, think, you, you have really high emotional intelligence, right? And that would be the, yeah, I, well, don't ask my wife that question, but, uh, <laughs> sure. The, uh, but yeah, so, you know, the reality is back to your question. Um, for me, I don't feel comfortable recommending something to someone else on any level, professionally or in a friendship. 
if it's not something that I have firsthand knowledge of. So how am I ever going to sell if I don't know the pain points, the rough edges, the sharp bits, and the good parts, of course, of the product that I'm representing? So it was important to me that if I'm going to, if I'm going to establish myself in a new industry, representing a product, I need to know that product better than anybody else that's ever going to represent this product, period. There's no exception for that from the standard I hold myself to. Um, I'm still not there with flow, by the way. So Lenny, Lenny is better with me, better than me on uh, on flow but i'm gonna beat him it's just gonna take me another couple months i think um so that was my goal with canary and and uh i think it should be every i think it should be every salesperson's goal period you may not have the ability to get there on your own that doesn't mean you don't hold yourself accountable to it and when you when you realize what you can't learn or where you're just not gonna get and then you find the partnership inside of your organization Mm -hmm. to get you that extra step right that's where the sales engineer role maybe needs partnered with a really high relational person so let's let's pivot over to the flow piece real quick because i one of the things so a little background here because i want to talk about kind of the direction where flow is going and so we had this um you guys were here for a whole day we did a, a whole day worth of sessions um yeah. earlier in November and the and the idea was hey you know Walker we want to come see the team so it was you and Lenny or you and Graham came in Graham is now based here in the states he was a he's from South Africa but he's now based here in the states and Flo Flo's offices are in Austin right is that the yeah. yep and then yeah, you so we we became a US based company in 2018 um and now are, are slowly moving all operations to the US. And so one of the challenge one of the things was, hey, let's let's show you where where we're going. You know, let's look mm-hmm. out. We were going to show you some of the new feature sets and we're also going to talk to you about what's in the roadmap. So yeah. it was very impressive. I mean in 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 a lot of those of you who have not worked with Flow, um, and let's say you go look up Flow software and you sit and you want to ask the question, what is Flow? Right. And by the way, this has been a running joke for a long time. If you want to try and answer what flow is, it can be very challenging because flow is many things. And in fact, we created a Venn diagram on our whiteboard to say, let's look at flow and then let's compare it to all the things that it intersects with, right? So flow has some similarities to Ignition because it's an IIoT platform, right? It has some similarities to Seek because it does analytics. It has some similarities to Power BI because of the dashboarding capabilities with it, right? right. We, we basically showed all the intersections. It had similarities now with the new feature set to HiByte. There's intersection with data operations, right? And yep. so what what's, most people, it's important for people to understand is Flow is unlike anything else in the market. There is not a apples to apples, 100% comparison. Like if you had OSI Pi, and you're comparing mm-hmm. it to Canary Labs, right? It's basically a 95% apples to apples comparison. They're just attacking the market differently and using different tech, but the functions for the business were basically the same, right? You have mm-hmm. asset frames and event frames in OSI Pi, and you have whatever you guys called, you know, asset um, modeling in Canary. There were different mm-hmm. terms, but they were the same thing. Flow is unlike any one product in the market it is yeah it's an intersection of many products but it's it's bread and butter is 
um, short time to value on edge analytics. That's its bread and butter for me. It's I can take data I've been historizing, I can connect to that data, and then I can transform that data, and then I can create analysis with that data very quickly, seamlessly, beautifully. But let me ask you this, Jeff, the, the, if you were going to tell people today what flow is and what it will be next year at the, in go-to-market strategy, how would you describe it? And what is it you would want people to know? And by the way, this is a totally unsponsored, you know, we're not here to, we're talking about flow because the audience should definitely know about where flow is going. That's the reason we're having the conversation, but how would you describe it to, to the audience? Yeah. Um, I have found the first thing I have to do is understand who I'm talking to (laughs) because right at the end of the day, I I always need to understand someone's need in order to put something as a solution to a problem in front of them. But let's just say I'm, I'm talking to somebody who's involved in the operation side of an organization. They're, they're in a, they're in a facility. They're, they're part of a manufacturing team. I'm, I'm going to simply set the table by saying you and your company have invested for decades on collecting as much data as you possibly can from every different part of your operation. Right. That's, that's what, are, what is happening in, with my sensors. Who are my people? What are we supposed to be making for what customers? Where are my raw goods coming from? All of these are separate databases. Yes. And that's great. And that's great. Right. And right now you can look at any one of those databases and you can understand what the current value is easy enough. And in fact, that's where the UNS really comes right. through. It's a snapshot is, of right now. It is literally current state. Yep. And, and with some context, I can understand a little bit, but that's not analytics. Sorry. If, no, you're good. If we're, going to, if we're going to improve our process and do the jobs that we're supposed to be doing, I have to be able to analyze data from multiple data sources immediately. Right. And I have to be able to do it quickly to get the competitive edge, that means I need a tool that's easy to use, that brings all of that data into one place or unites those data sources. And when I run that calculation, can easily deliver it to that now environment, to the UNS. Yes. And, that, and that's what Flow does. Flow gives someone who has the ability to move a mouse and drag a tag from one, from one side of the screen to the other side of the screen, to begin to understand what was the mean time between downtime on this line yesterday, and how does that compare to the 30-day average? How many connectors? In- so one of the things that yeah. when you guys were showing, when you were demoing the new platform, you were you yeah. connected to a series of data sources, and right. those data sources were basically on the right-hand side of the environment. And then on the left-hand right. side, they were they were creating a namespace that was essentially an abstraction of data points. And then what they were doing was they were taking data from each of those connections and they were just mapping them into the namespace. And then in the middle, they were running the functional tools inside of of Flow to convert data points from, say, you know, as imagine you're taking two data points and you want to multiply them together to get you a third data point. They're doing that on steroids. They're doing very advanced aggregations. They're doing... They're, uh, you know, they have an expression language built in that gives you the ability to do mathematical computations based on conditions. It was, I mean, it's very, very impressive. I mean, and, and, but the output, it was, this is the big difference. 
you can tell if software is backend API UI, what you are working with with Flow is the UI, right? You're working with the UI to do stuff in the API and the API would give you your connectors also. When I asked Graham about the the openness of the platform, he even he even said, oh yeah, our API is wholly open. So cool. you you have the ability to use Flow without our UI at all. Like you can just use our functions, the functional capabilities of Flow to do what is, I say, the connect, the collect, the store, the analyze and the visualize, but also the find patterns, report and solve. All Flow is the only platform that can do all those things. That means the connect, the data acquisition, the data operation, the data aggregation, the data anal and, and analytics, and plus all the visual. It's literally the only platform that does all of it. And then yeah. takes the result in a semantic hierarchy with state and puts it in a unified namespace for other nodes right. in the ecosystem to consume from. It, I mean, yeah. it's really. So let's, let's break that. Let's break that down real quick. Um, you've identified essentially what you're excited about is what I saw three years ago and got, or four years, I don't even know how long ago right. it was in 2018, 2019. Um, that's what I saw as the potential in flow. It wasn't, we, as a product, it wasn't there just yet, mm -hmm. but I knew the leadership, I knew Graham, I knew Lenny, I knew Vaughn, uh, Leon, and I wanted to work with them. Before I before the it was the before it was the software it was the people that drew me in. Um, I couldn't, and I love the guys at Canary. I just I couldn't shake this feeling that I needed to find a way to work and partner with Graham and Lenny. Like right. it just you know was here. Um, and then I started having a serious conflict on the historian side. So I was watching OSI Soft watching Asset Framework, Paia, uh, yes. and watching the stranglehold it was having on customers. Yes. And, and here's, here's, here's the scenario. Now think that a lot of people haven't thought about this, but think about this. If you build your analytics framework Inside of on top of the historian, let's say you're really successful. You've got a competitive edge. You're going to acquire assets. Every time you acquire a new asset and it's not using that historian, right. that vendor, what do you have to do? Right. Well, it, it's even crazier is let's talk about event frames and asset frames and OSI pipe. My biggest complaint, my, when people ask me, you know, Walker, why do you shit on OSI pie? Well, it's really simple. It, you're going to build an event frame or an asset frame inside of OSI pie to create value for your business. And that value is going to be, data operations, context, and normalization of data. So you're going to transform data into information, you're going to give it context, right. and you're going to normalize it in one event. You need that for machine right. learning later. You may, and when you first start right. your journey, you're not doing ML. You're doing connect, collect, store, analyze, visualize. ML starts later, yep. right? But you got to make sure that the way you do connect, collect, store, analyze, visualize sets you up to be able to do ML later. Okay. You're going right. to, in OSI Pi, ostensibly, you are going to use asset frames and event frames to get you data normalization and data context, which is the cleansing of the data for machine learning algorithms later. Well, guess what? Asset frames and event frames are OSI Pi IP. They don't see it as your intellectual property. It's their intellectual right. property. 
So they do not expose the context and the normalization of the data outside of the OSIPI ecosystem. It's one of my number one complaints. I'm like, wait, you want me to use your platform to normalize and contextualize right. my data to get it to a single event, and then I, I can only use it in your platform? You've got to be kidding me. Right. That's a, you, like This is the argument you and I would have at Canary all the time. Canary was wide open. It was literally, it was like, if you're going to build value inside of our platform, we're going to give you the ability to take it in its form and get it out to non-Canary partners. OSIPI right. doesn't do that. In fact, they make it really, really, really hard, even if you decided you wanted to invest millions of dollars in doing it. When you look at flow, it's the same philosophy. The philosophy was, wait a minute, if you're going to create value in our platform, it's not value that stays in our platform. It's value we're going to expose to the ecosystem. And that is a yeah. fundamental, it's a fundamental shift That's what I ran in into. the market. That's what I ran into it. So here we are at Canary and we're seeing the necessity for asset framework, right? right? We, we see this need to analyze data at, at the historian level, but then you have this question of, well, we're a time series database. In order to really provide the needs of a, of a plant, we have so much relational and transactional data that needs to come in to be contextualized to contextualize our time series data. And then it's like, well, does that make sense? Does it make sense to do all of that? And, and we thought, no, let's just make it really easy to export the data into whatever, wherever it needs to go. And then it's then this question, okay, well, where does it need to go? And that's where I saw Flow as being so such a capable tool. If they added the concept of tags, mm -hmm. and I started, I started way, talking to Graham and they, they had measures to begin with. The measure was the object. They didn't have they right. didn't have tag structure, which has changed. That's the new right. right. That's the direction and, you. Finished. And when I talked to Graham and when I talked to Graham about it, and he was all on board about putting tags in. That's when I knew. That's when I knew. Okay, so we've got we've got a platform that doesn't care what the historian is, right. doesn't care what the SCADA system is, doesn't care what the underlying version of SQL databases that you need to connect to uh, can now capture real-time data from an OPC server or an MQTT broker and has an open interoperable um, platform that will send data on trigger, on schedule, on demand, uh, or on change now to any other solution that I want it to go to. And forget, that's great. Forget, forget that though. It's not just sending the information that's been processed. It's the concept of I'm going to expose a single endpoint that anything in my ecosystem can ask me to go get raw data from any system I'm connected right. to, bring it into a standardized format, and then hand it off. So, and it, this is an important thing. So, you and we we actually had this in a diagram on the board. I didn't know that this was the direction they were going. This is a very important thing. Not only are you exposing the result of the work that you're doing inside of Flow, you are also exposing the ability to create new workflows through Flow mm -hmm. by exposing the endpoint. For example, if Flow has uh, connections to three data sources, okay, and inside of the Flow, inside the engineering environment, I went in there and I... I, what I did was I took three values from data source one, three values from data source two, and one value from data source three, and then I created a couple of new parameters that are going to live inside of Flow, okay, and I and I put those all together in a template, okay, and then I 
I do all my work in the in the flow front end, and then I execute it, and I backfill all the data. And now what I've got is all these data points, my calculations plus my outputs, all that's exposed, right? That's and by the way, not everyone does that, but you guys do that. But here's the the, the, the ad. I also have the ability from outside of flow to hit flow and create a new workflow. I can, from those three data sources, I can pick three new data points and I can do all those things outside of the flow uh, engineering environment, which the truth is, is doesn't exist. Like most platforms don't even think about that. Like it's also, it's like treating flow as a broker for all the data connections. And this is the, like, I've realized over the last year that we're in front of the market on this. Yes, definitely. Um, we're in front of it. We're, we're definitely in front of the need from the, the awareness of the need to ask for this feature. Um, but, and the difficulty, you just ran into the thing that plagues me every day is trying to explain that concept mm -hmm. in less than 15 seconds can be tough. I say it like this. Let's say in flow, you make a model of a throughput calculation. Uh -huh. You've got good, you've got bad tags representing rejects and, and, and good units. And now I've got that model at 10 sites. Every one of those sites is using a different vendor of historian. Right. I can ask flow to reach down to the historians and give me the raw data for good and bad right. for the last 90 days. Right. And Flow understands what that tag's called in the historian and how to query it. I don't ever have to do that as a data scientist ever again. Right. All you're doing and is going to the endpoint created in Flow that then goes to the raw data point. It creates the abstraction. The abstract I, I want right. to go one other really advanced feature, which we would never talk about. If Say you're a data scientist. You're a data analyst, right? It's obvious that what Flow is trying to do is turn everyone into citizen data analysts. Obviously, that's the idea, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that stands out to me is like, if, you, if, you, if you're not a data scientist and you have never tried to, to do data analysis on data points from multiple data sources. So let's say what I yeah. wanted to do, if you've never done that before, you have no idea what the challenges are in doing that. But let's say I wanted right. to do something as simple as putting together the data point from a sensor coming out of a PLC that is updating once every 25 milliseconds, okay? I have set up my polling where I'm gonna store that data point in the history, in the historian, every 50 milliseconds. So I'm gonna have one measurement for every 50 milliseconds on that sensor. And this, we'll say this is a sensor with a floating point value, okay? Then what I wanna do is I wanna compare that with another sensor that is being stored every one second, okay? And that comes from a different data source. And then what I wanna do is I want to, I want to also compare that with say an availability calculation on that, so downtime availability on the asset, that's coming from a third data source and that's being calculated every one minute. All right, one of right. the challenges you would run into, you run into two of those. A, how do you normal, you, con context is just putting the three together. Normalization is having one value, you know, you go to the highest resolution data point and you, you create a value at that resolution for everything, okay? So if it's 50 milliseconds, I would go, I would take, I would, let's say that my 
availability calculation was 0.9 for the next 60 seconds. At, at 50 milliseconds, I've got 200 data points in the in every um, second. So I need to have 200 of 0.9 for, for every one second so that it's lined up with the 50 milliseconds, okay? That's what I would need to do. All right. That's just one problem. The next problem is... Well, can I just can I just start by saying you haven't even you haven't even yet created a database to ingest this data in and start to work correct. with it. So there's the work problem. Where am I going to do right. this? And, and moreover, he, and the la and the other bigger one is they're not using the same clocks. So you have three. Right. They're not using. The same they clock. have three data sources, all with different clocks. So right. what? One of the things that blows my mind about Flow, and this is some of the this is like some of the unappreciated technology. And I and I, I we never even really talked about it when you guys did the demo. The algorithms that you guys have that Lenny and, and whoever the team, I'm assuming Lenny is one of the developers of the platform, right? He knows under the hood. No, no, no. Lenny's really more on the implementation right, who, side. Who, Lenny's who just wrote the algorithms. Who's the guy who writes the? So you're you're looking at um, I would say a four man team. The 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 key developers are going to be Graham, Leon, Rickus. Okay. Involved. All right. The, the algorithms that they, they obviously had to write their own algorithms to be able to determine which clock to use and how to line that data up. So when you do your backfill of your data source, you know, you're basically taking these data points, you've got your data sources, you're going to basically, you're going to do the data operation, and then you're going to backfill it. So I'm going to backfill it 30 days so I can look at a chart over the last 30 days. You have to run that through an algorithm to get all the data points lined up so your calculations are correct. One of Flow's greatest abilities is the algorithms that they've written to get that right. To get that right. And, and as and only a data scientist is going to appreciate that. Like only someone who's doing data analysis. And like when you talk about checking off the boxes, that's an advanced thing. We normally wouldn't even talk about that in a podcast. But Flow does that better than any other platform I have ever come in contact with. Like the, the, the if, if flow is good at anything, it is the process of uh, the developing the process for accurate and effective data analytics that developing hmm. the process. But let me, let me ask you this, Jeff, what yeah. is a, you know, when you, when so let's say someone gets started with flow, let's talk about the digital maturity right? Their fluency yeah. increases over time. What does a typical engagement look like in the beginning? I install Flow for the first time. What is a typical use case in my proof of concept? And then how am I using it a year later or two years later? Because obviously that looks yeah. totally different, right? They're only scratching the surface yeah. in a POC. And then they've got, what, what, can you, can you kind of walk through what a genealogy is? And maybe that will help illustrate to people. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first engagements usually is usually not just for technology's sake, right? right? Like this, this is all really cool. Like we're talking, we're, we're right now, we are just triggering every enterprise architects dream come right. true right yeah. now. Right. But at the end of the day, that's, that's not who I'm talking to each day. I wish it was, but that's not who I'm talking right. to each day. I'm talking to, to men and women on the front line that have a problem to solve. And that problem is around, I've been told I need to do this, or I want to do this. I need this piece of data readily available for me to be able to make a decision off of. So what does that look like? Um, uh, I'll give you an example I heard yesterday. Um, I want to know true cost per unit 
for the last 1,000 units produced. Okay. That's what I need. Okay. Okay. So um, you end up with a you end up least, with a dashboard that's displaying a value in a tag tree where you have already you've yep. gone through the workflow to create the to consume the data points you need to calculate it, to backfill the data and then do the calculation and put it in a place where it can be visualized, and then you've got a, a visual yep. on a screen. Yep. That's a, an example yep. of a proof yep. of concept. Yep. Okay. Um that's three databases I'm gonna have to probably hit. I need a personnel database, I need a time series database, and I need to understand some something that tells me what my raw goods are costing me, right? Um, okay, easy enough. Like that's 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 such an easy right. problem to actually that's, solve. That's something you could do in a in a business development call if you have access to the databases. If you had the databases set up, I could do it for you in twenty right. minutes. It's yeah. Um, actually, no. You know, for me, I might struggle to figure out how to write the script to keep a, a th you know look only at the last thousand units, right? But, 20 gram you would knock that out of the park. Um, so that, that actually, because of the business model that we've adopted, that single little use case will show an ROI on flow. Right. Because you're land, you're basically landing, you're, you're, put, you're getting flow installed at a, an annual yeah. subscription cost. You're, annual subscription. Unlimited, right. Unlimited. Right? You're getting it in the environment. You're solving the first problem of many problems you're going to solve with flow, but that first problem right. is getting you the ROI. That's right. right. And so, and then here's what happens. What happens is the person that championed that now has this tool that they now see that they right. can, they can drag this over. And, and here's what they have. They now have a KPI that shows in flow. This is my cost per thousand units. So what is the very next thing that they do? They drag that. KPI and they look, okay, how does it compare this shift over last right. shift today over yesterday? And then they say, oh, well, I need more context. I need to bring in the operator and the supervisor IDs um, that, were, that were on this line. And then it becomes, okay, well, how's this operator compared to this operator when it comes to driving cost? Oh, interesting. Okay. And, and so now it's a coaching tool. Now this operator is understanding a little bit more. And they're like, well, where did you calculate? What's this look like? Or this supervisor's like, well, where did you get that? Oh, hey, um, I see you've got production numbers here. Could you take today and slice it by product and give me a account by product also? Well, sure. Yeah, we can do that. Okay, well, can you get me waste on that? What did we lose in waste? Oh, and who was the number one contributor? to? The, why did we lose that? Look, at the, one of our core values at Flow is stay curious. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of fun, Walker, because I've never actually been part of a company before where the core values of the company drive product development. Wow. So our core values actually represent what we're trying to build a product to be able to do. And one of those is stay curious. Um, so if you don't have a licensing restriction, if you've already made your ROI, if the barrier to entry is extremely low from a technical standpoint, and you have a tool that is encouraging people to gather around it and collaborate, what's going to happen? Right. It's it's gonna it's yeah. gonna you, what you're gonna do is you're gonna create a there a platform upon which all people stand to solve all future problems. And what's really crazy is the ROI piece is you know you basically <laughs> need a thousand dollars a month ROI on your first proof of right. concept to be net right. net positive you need you basically need to save a thousand dollars a month on your poc yeah. to to get your yeah. money back 
it's fourteen thousand yep. dollars a year, so I think it's like twelve hundred bucks. Yeah. I mean, month. it's it's and that is such a low number. I mean, when you're looking at the ROI calculations that push purchase, you know, uh, purchase orders, they are enormous numbers. Yeah. They they're they're aiming for right. I mean, the, Bill, the investment uh, is so low. Bill Barnes told me break it down to the ridiculous. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> um, the ridiculous is a dollar sixty an hour. That's the operational cost to run a float license on a twenty four seven. Dollar uh, sixty now. Dollar sixty. Yeah, it's 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 not. I, I, since you've given a shout out to your mentors, um, you know, I have two. There's three that I are, are play a huge role in my life. Obviously, Joe Rolfe is the one who got me into into this industry. He, you know, without Joe, I wouldn't be here. Uh, Lenny Rosenfield, one of the the greatest supervisor I ever worked with in my entire life, and gave me the best job interview I've ever had. Never asked me a single. Uh, controls question. He asked me all physics-based yeah. questions. And and Mary Emily Slate, who's an executive at Newcore Steel, she was a general manager I worked under who fundamentally, she literally taught me what leadership was. And if I, without Mary Emily Slate, I, w- I would not be the leader I am today. Like men- and, and these are relationships I still have to this day. They, you know, mentor- yeah. mentorship is very, very important. And uh, since you've given Bill a shout out a couple of times, I want to make sure I give a shout out. So let me ask you uh, this. We have we have a couple minutes left, but uh, where's Flow going? Let's say let's say people have already taken a look at Flow. They hear me mention it. Where let's let's talk a little bit about where Flow is going in 2024 and beyond. Because what I saw yeah. in the beginning of November is like all a game changer. I mean, I mean, a significant game changer. And and you know your vision of the unified analytics framework is i mean it's coming to reality i mean yours and lenny's vision or uh, graham's vision um graham it's coming it it, yeah. it it it's coming to fruition so what what should people be yeah. prepared um for with flow in the in the next year and beyond yeah um lower bar to entry um easier easier to use faster time to value that's that's really my push is i want someone to be able to pick up flow Download it. Fifteen minutes later, have value with it. Uh, so we've uh, we joined Sesame um, four months ago. We're very interested in what Sesame is doing. I, I'm interested in Sesame from first and all, first and foremost, just from a, uh, an education uh-huh. campaign. The first time I heard John Dyke present what Sesame is all about, breaking down these stovepipe architectures, it's like, well, this is something we need to be behind. Um, I was a little. I was personally skeptical more or less around, man, they're really heavy on OPC. What's, what's this all about? Um, We see flow as an opportunity to be a bridge between, between an OPC information profile and any other type of information model that you want to build. And so we're actively working on how we will be able to ingest um, and also to translate and to share uh, models that have been built in. So flow, you, so the, um, the at, profiles that you create. So for those of you who don't know Sesme, just real quick, like um, Sesme is the uh, Smart Manufacturing Institute. It's a, I'm fairly certain they're a not for profit and they are funded by federal government. So the US government DOE. funds them and it's, and their, their mission is to proliferate smart manufacturing at scale in the United States. Uh, I was on a True. panel with John Dyke in September at the um, operations calling for Tulip. And John used that stovepipe analogy. He also 
had some really great data on like why where Sesame grew out of was the total number of clicks, mouse clicks they used to convert data. Like I have all these data in all these silos, the total number of mouse clips clicks it requires to turn that data into information and make it valuable was it was a barrier to entry for rank and file manufacturers. And they're trying to overcome that. I, with you, yes, I, my fundamental issue with Sesame has to do with the OP, the OPC relationship. I agree with you a thousand percent flow would be the perfect way, the perfect bridge between that OPC mm-hmm. ecosystem and what we see as IIoT protocols. Moreover, one other thing, yeah. Sesame is driven. They have this open profile concept where you will create a profile, which we refer to as a data or information model, and the and then you can deploy those across a, a an ecosystem. They in inside a flow, they have templates, which a template equals a profile in Sesme. And I'm assuming you're saying that you're going to be able to share those templates as profiles with the Sesme ecosystem and consume back from that ecosystem as well, right? That's, that's our goal. Yeah, that's our goal. Um, uh, also, in the very short term, embracing GraphQL okay, excellent. Um, as well. We talked about that, I think, a couple yes. weeks ago. Um, and then we have a rewrite of where, I mean, we're getting ready to start a rewrite of a lot of our products. It's been 12 years. Um, we've just, we've just moved the product over to .NET 6. So, you know, I, I, I commend our team, even though the product is 12 years old, it doesn't really show its age and its ability to be distributed, um, um, from an architectural standpoint. Um, so they, they've stayed on top of that, but. We're looking at a Kubernetes uh, solution that will allow more of the configuration of the tool to either be done from a command line or to be done in a browser, um, if you want that UI. And so that that's a pretty big that's a pretty big lift to move that way. My personal goal, um, you and I haven't talked about this, so this will be new to okay. you. Um, I know you're you're there for you're there for manufacturing jobs in the United States. Um, I love system integration shops and I personally believe that we, there's a lot of system integrators that are going to be in a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. and they haven't, and they haven't, they've been so busy. They've been so busy that they haven't been able to set themselves up to grow into the next step of services. And that next step of services is not about programming PLCs and it's not about installing historians. That next step of services has to do with the analysis of data and good data management yep. practices. So it's going to be tough for a lot of integrators to compete in that space if they're not already thinking that way. Um, how do they do this? So one of the goals that we have is to build a product that an integrator who is not there now will be able to take the deep knowledge they have about the way that a piece of, equi- a piece of equipment should run and be able to build a model of that equipment that they can then manage and deploy as a service to their end users. Okay. And so what we're, what we're hoping to build is an all-inclusive platform that a system integrator would be able to spin up multiple versions of our software, deploy them to the field, manage them centrally, keep a template library of the integration work and be able to sell that service through through the platform 
to those end users on a on a regular basis. Excellent. So analytics as a service focused on helping integrators take that next step. And right and that and that's something right now what people try to do is like black box code inside of the PLC, right. which obviously, you know, and and it's a it's a brilliant, brilliant concept. I mean, I'll say that. So for those of you who want to, I strongly encourage you to check out Flow. Again, this is not sponsored. The whole reason we're doing this is because what I saw at the beginning of November, I'm like, holy shit, the community needs to see where this platform is going and get ahead of it because, you know, the interest of full disclosure, you know, I, I at Intellic Integration at our, um, our systems integrator, um, we haven't written PLC code in a couple of years. We have not had a single project where we wrote a PLC program in, say, the last two years. Uh, we see where the market's going. I mean, the, and the market is the, the right now, I think there's something like 14,000 systems integrators. You take those 14,000 systems integrators and you look, you break them up, break them up and you take a look at the what they actually do, the vast majority of them do automation, okay, 80% right. or something. Um, they, If you look at their billable rates, they continue to drop and drop and drop. If you look at their conversion rates, they continue to drop and drop and drop. The demand for automation is still high, but the ability to deliver it in a short time to value is getting higher and higher and higher. So what's happening is the ability to deliver automation is is it, it doesn't take nearly as much work now. And so if you have a business that's all based on automation, well, you're going to be competing for more projects, but in a shorter timeline. You know, everything's going to be delivered in a couple of weeks as opposed to 12 to 16 weeks or 24 to 36 week schedules. And also, you know, ChatGPT makes writing PLC code, especially in structured text, basically like it's essentially automated. I mean, and by the way, your customers are going to figure it out. This year, we've did about about thirty percent of our work that we did this last year was all advanced analytics, so machine learning, predictive analytics, artificial intelligence for manufacturers. We anticipate at Intellic next year that's going to be fifty percent. So fifty percent of every hour we bill is going to be in some ML capability, some advanced analytics capability. We see where the market's going, and we're just pivoting and focusing all of our efforts in those areas. And the, we, are, we are viewing with our own eyes the limitations of the platforms that we use to provide these tools. And a lot of what you showed me in the beginning of November is closing all those gaps, man. I mean, you know, yeah. you guys are, you're taking the right approach. Not, no one else is taking that approach. And you really have the market cornered once, once adoption ramps up. I mean, it's, it's pretty nuts. Any, uh, so for those of you who want to try it out, you can go to flow-software.com. You get what we do. It all, I do it all the time. Download the software. Download yep. it. And uh, I, would, I would also just yeah, go ahead. shout out real quick though. Inside of this, or inside of this community, we've got some incredible partners. Yes. So I would, as much as I'd love for you to go to Flow's website and, and download the software and try it. If you're an end user and you're looking for someone to guide you, can we just Intellic? Yep. Skellig, yep. Galarus, Ectobox. Yep. Like, and I, I apologize if I've dropped a partner or two off of that. Um, well, Copar Co like, Co is going to be in there, right? Aren't you? You're yeah, Copar knows what Michael yep. and the team know. Flo, um, like, reach out to them. 
they'd love to walk you through it. Um, and of course, my email will be right where it'll right be right here. at the bottom there. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. let me say one, one last um, thing. I was I had a meeting with Michael Dowdell, who's he's a, he's at Copar. Those of you who don't know Michael, yeah. he very active in the community, but behind the scenes, he does publicly. He doesn't really talk a whole lot, but behind the scenes, he's very active. He and I get together and have hour long calls together. We were talking about technology recently. Uh, we had a call last month and I was asking him what he's the highest on. You know, Michael, what are you the highest on? And he said, Litmus, you know, because of Litmus's broker releasing that broker, Litmus Edge, and yep. Flow Software. He's a yep. good guy. Um, there's very few people that have made me a superhero to my children. Michael Dowdell made me a superhero to my children. You ready for the craziest story? I want to hear. It. Give it to me. There's a website called GeoGuessr. If you, if everyone right now, Google GeoGuessr. Okay. Here's what happens. You get a Google map image, like street view of Google Maps, okay? In one window, it shows you a, a Google map street view image. Over on the other side of the browser is a map of the world, and you have a limited amount of time to drop a pin where you think you are in the world according to this Google street image, okay? okay. You start watching YouTube videos of the men and women that are really good at this, it'll blow your mind. You get scored based on how close you get. My, I'm showing my wife and my kids for the very first time this new thing I found. And they're like, well, do one, Dad. I'm like, okay. I pull one up, and I see Copar integration on a billboard <laughs> on this Google Street image. And I know that Michael and his team are in Monterey, yeah. Mexico. I go over to that map and drop Monterey, Mexico, and got 100% perfect score one time and done. My kids think I'm the smartest man. In you the did it, Dad. Because of my my dad is the smartest guy in the world. Yes. Great story. Oh, All right, brother. Hey, hey, Jeff, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're as busy as I am. It's incredibly, I, I'm glad we were able to get to pull this off and make it coordinate it. Um, uh, those of you who want to reach out to Jeff, Jeff, what's your email address real quick? It's Jeff. Dot yep. Nepper at flow dash software. And Nepper com. is spelled K-N-E-P-P-E-R. All right, you Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks, it. gang, for listening. Like, subscribe, yeah. comment down below, and we will see you guys in the next one.